0: This is the Pro Audio Suite podcast.
1: Quick Bites. Welcome to another Pro Audio Suite Quick Bite. This week, we're talking about dealing with pretty ordinary audio and booth versus gating. Now, these are two threads I've seen. I saw someone talking about using gating as opposed to buying a booth. And I also got a bit of a lashing on um, LinkedIn. A week or so ago, by a guy who thought I was being elitist because I was talking about people delivering bad audio, and this could be uh, it could reflect really badly on all of us. He seemed to think I was being elitist for some reason. Anyway, um, so being audio engineers, Robert and uh, um, Robbo, are you dealing with pretty crappy audio at the moment?
0: Uh, not so much me, because. Radio imaging-wise, I usually only have to deal with a handful of voiceover talent who have home studios who've been doing it for a long time. But having said that, I have heard some horror stories. uh, And no names, no pack drill, but I also know of a voiceover talent who thought using the built-in mic in her uh, MacBook Pro would suffice for a Source Connect hookup for a Telstra commercial, Telstra being the biggest telco in Australia. So, um, well, it is a pro. Yeah. I mean, it's a MacBook Pro. Yes,
2: that's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yes, I haven't physically had to deal with anything, but, yeah, I've heard a few horror stories.
1: What about you, Robert? Have you had to deal with um, trying to resurrect some really bad audio?
3: Not in a long time, actually. Most, I mean, I've had some maybe slightly ringy frequency booth things but for the most part if if we have an unknown talents session we will we'll try to get an idea of like 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 we'll ask for a test recording ahead of time just to hear their booth like just give us a, a line or two and send us an mp3 so we can know what we're about to run into and uh, haven't really had to save any things yet not not that badly the, the biggest thing I've had to save is the uh, the guy who's the video operator and They're too cheap to send an audio person to the shoot. The guy's got his camera. He's got his XLR input to his camera. He plugs the lav mics into the camera. He looks at his camera, and he sees the meters bouncing. He shoots the whole thing. They get it back, and the person sounds like he's 40 feet away from the the microphone because he is because the guy (laughs) never went into his camera and switched the input from the camera mic to the XLR mic. And then they're like, can you save it? And the answer is no. We can try to make it better, but it's basically a forensics operation at that point.
2: It's like shooting with no light on, you know. And yeah. Saying, can we get light back, please?
1: Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. That's well, right. I, <laughs> I can imagine that happening right now where people are sort of in a panic mode trying to get set up to do um, recordings from home because they've never done it before and forgetting to select the, uh, the right interface and yeah. just using the one that's built into the computer.
0: Yeah,
2: happens a lot. It I, does I, indeed. It's happened to all of us.
1: Yes. That's right.
0: Going mm. back to your comment at the top of this show, Andrew, about the guy who said you were being elitist, it does bother me a little bit because we we are a long way behind the States in terms of acceptance of home studios. And I think I've said it on the show before. I mean, this here in Australia is our perfect opportunity to prove that home studios, properly set up home studios, are effective, saves a shitload of time, in terms of, you know, voiceovers traveling and things like that, and effective. And this is our perfect time for us to shine. And for someone to say it's elitist because we all drop our heads and go, oh, my God, when you hear about horror story sessions, I think that's a little elitist, I think, to be honest with you. It's like, well, I'll do what I want, screw
1: you. I just think it's being silly and um, inward-looking. I mean, the fact is, if you're going to deliver bad audio, and my article was about people delivering bad audio, is that going to reflect on people who have been delivering good audio for years at the end of all this, the crisis? So people go, look, I'm not going to deal with home studios anymore. I've had so many bad sessions. That's it for me. I'm done. And then people like myself, then that we miss out on the work. That's right. That's what I was writing about. Andrew, you're a horrible person for saying all that. <laughs> no, it sounds like it's the
2: context that seems more to land home in Australia where home studios are still not at the same regard held to the same regard as they are in, in the in the States.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I saw a, a message, in fact, from um Jared McGuire sent me something and he was talking about a response he got from an agent in Australia saying that um don't worry about helping people set up home studios this will all be over soon and we we'll be back to normal yeah right
0: Bury and i'm kind of like
1: really really is that, do you really think that I, I no i don't
0: i i don't think that at all in fact i would like us to get to the end of this pandemic And instead of Australian producers and clients saying, oh, no, you know, we don't don't want anything to do with home studios, make sure the client comes in. I'd love to get to the end of this pandemic and hear stories about producers going, hey, can we just grab them from home? We only need them for five minutes. Let's just get them from home. That'd be much easier.
1: Yeah, well, that's another one. This is another thing I heard from an audio engineer who works in one of the big studios. He's... He said to me he would prefer to do remote sessions and he would prefer to have the client remote because when they're in the studio having cups of coffee and eating food and talking with each other, they're not even listening to the session. And then they they end up prolonging the session because they go, oh,
3: can we try it this way? Every, like we've already done that. Every supervised yeah. session goes longer than, a, than an unsupervised session. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same for a voice talent. Voice talent gets in the booth, knows what's needed, re- reads it, and then they're like, that's the best thing I've got. I know that's correct or whatever. And, and For and, professional, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt
2: about it. I mean, and can I also be the one to throw out the environmental thing? <laughs> yes, please. Sure, sure. it's great for the environment. Absolutely. Look at our yeah. freaking planet right now. I don't know yep. what you guys see outside your window, but
3: man. It's breathing they're... because everyone with COVID <laughs> isn't breathing.
2: <laughs> I know, this, the whole planet is breathing a sigh of relief right now. It's like, I've never seen the sky the way I see it in LA right now. I mean, it's just, it's startling. So I'll be yeah. that guy. But it's, there's another, re- if you got to add another reason to this list, that's another good one. Yeah. Driving into Melbourne an hour from your home studio to record a 10 minute session and driving back is stupid. It just, we have stupid.
3: always said that there's a reason why the Source Elements logo is green. There you ah. go. There you go. Yeah. There's a perfect one.
1: Well, I, I, I think that's an absolute perfect argument for remaining. The way we are at the moment and uh, working remotely like this, because it's just, it is crazy to sit in a car for however many hours going backwards and forwards for a 20 minute session. Mm. It's crazy. So, speaking of home studios, um, I also saw another thread which was kind of interesting. It was an issue that uh, female voice talent had with her studio bricks that arrived. She put the thing together and found the door handle was missing and uh, the ventilation system didn't arrive. And then further down the thread, it was a quite a long statement from a voice talent saying, I don't actually use a booth. And, I, and he was giving the reasons why you don't need one. And he uses gating. And he claims mm. he can get his noise floor down, I think it was like minus 70 or minus 90 dB. I saw this thread. Oh, you saw it. I saw a thread yeah, and yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Ah. It's no, delusional, but yeah, anyway. Well, is he though? I, mean, is I that- think so. What do you think, George? Um, Oh dear! Do you really want to answer this? (laughs) (laughs) He still wants the
2: client. uh, (laughs) I put my mouth. I put my foot in my mouth once or twice on my own show, and uh, you know, being naming not naming names, but the person going, "I know you're talking about me, you (laughs) son of a." Um, But uh, for lack of a, you know, without going too far down that way. Yeah, I do know of a voice actor who coaches people and has said, buy this gear because it's going to make you sound good in your crappy home studio, essentially. Um, And that one of those things is a gate. So I use expanders liberally when I'm setting up processing for people. So to explain what that means, like an expander and a gate are often interchanged, um, the terminology being that it's a way to reduce the room tone to an acceptable level um, using processing. A gate, in its most raw form, literally is an like an electronic on-off switch that will shut off the audio when you stop speaking, turn it back on when you start.
3: It's it's the uh, limiter of... It's like, you know, gate limiter, expander, compressor. Yeah.
2: Right. The limiter is a very extreme, like, chops off the top of the waveform, a gate chops off the... the, bottom. the bottom, sort of. <laughs> yeah, so, kind of yeah. so, yeah, so gates can be, can be a very bad idea when they're not set correctly. An expander can be done much, much more nuanced. And when it's set up correctly and programmed correctly, and I use one almost all the time in conjunction with compression, because uh, when you're using compression and a limiter, you, dent, you tend to pretty, you're going to be bringing up the noise floor. That's just part of the deal. So I use the expander to then control that noise floor and try to bring it back in a line where it was when you started. So, for example, if you use no expander and you use compression and limiting to raise the RMS up by, say, 7 dB, the noise floor goes up by 7. So I'll use the expander to then reduce the noise floor back down to maybe where it was before or maybe a little bit under. But it's very nuanced. And when it's done right, it can make a a decent home studio sound really, really great. But if that's what you're just using to get away with something all the time, there's going to be a time where you can't get away with it. And when it happens, it's going to cost you a job. And if you have a proper you booth, know? you don't need any of it. Yeah, it's the, it's the argument of what can I get away with using processing versus shouldn't I put the best signal into the chain, into the mic that I can to begin with? argument. That's that's what this discussion is, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about.
3: But but, but all of that is is what I call hiding the weenie. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Explain. (laughs)
2: What do you mean by Uh, that? I know what he
0: means.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I do too. Hiding the weenie. Yeah, I like it. it. It's interesting though, if you do have a decent space... Um what you can do. And I I've actually dug out I, I think I mentioned this before, that the old C four and four. I've got the thirty odd, nearly forty year old mic. The E B. The E B. And I've got it on figure eight. And it mm-hmm. sounds
3: fantastic. Yeah, it's huge proximity effect. The the it's, proximity effect it, is great. It sounds setting f- up yeah. a
2: figure eight for a lot of people. Yeah.
3: yeah. Well that's why the shotgun sounds good too, because it's sort of like it's a like a figure eight, you know? That's why it has such a uh, that it, like, big sound. You know sound.
2: It's interesting. So this is a whole other topic of discussion, but a figure eight in some ways is way better than a shotgun mic in a home studio because a shotgun mic, as you go off-axis, this, like the shit. response can get a little wonky. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about the 416 versus the Rode NTG-5 and how the 416 is not so good, really actually very bad off-axis. It gets The response is extremely bumpy and not smooth. Yep. And the Rode NTG-5 actually does have a pretty smooth off-axis response. So that's good. But a figure-eight mic will have very smooth response off-axis. But the signal just drops away to practically nothing once you get to the side of the mic.
3: Right. Do you know how the Beatles overdubbed? Well, didn't they have a... Um, what did they do? Put the mic Live the speaker. S- Live speaker shooting straight into the side of the microphone. Straight into the side because a figure eight, especially a ribbon figure eight, but they didn't use a ribbon, has a near perfect null. So it is practically deaf to something coming in straight from 90 degrees off axis. Right. And so they were overdubbing, doing backing vocals, I, I, if I understand right from some of the books, with not headphones, but a speaker right into the side of the microphone. <laughs> and it goes in, I, you know, it, it hits yeah. both sides of the diaphragm equally so the diaphragm doesn't move. Yeah, that's freaking cool. I got to someday come up with a device
2: that's like a a small monitor speaker bracket that mounts to the microphone boom. It's all like one rig, you know. And you just <laughs> you just plug in the mic and go, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so. So a figure eight pattern is amazing off axis at rejecting sound. Um, of course, you have to have a the back node dealt with, and and in most cases in a home booth, your back node, the back corner the mics facing at is almost always totally dead.
3: The biggest yeah. problem with figure eights is when you point it at the glass window. <laughs> yes, indeed. Right. Oops. Yeah. Don't yeah, do that. You get a strong bounce. Mm. Exactly. You can't have the back of that figure eight pointing at
2: glass or anything reflective. has to be right. dead and absorbing like a big bass trap. But, man... You do it right, and it's an amazing tool. And, and, and the other thing about figure eights, though, is, is they have noise.
3: great proximity effect.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You know? The mic has like more reach. Like you can, mm-hmm. you can get that same full richness sound that you maybe normally have to get at about four inches off the mic, and you can back up to about seven or eight inches off the mic, and and get that same tone. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you have a mic with switchable pattern, try it out. You, you might shock yourself. I, I've I've had a lot of folks with U87s where I've tried this experiment and just said try this, and all of a sudden their boothy sounding hollow step space completely transforms, and you know,
3: and they're they're amazed. So here's the thing I've noticed about figure eights on the large diaphragm condensers, is that they're actually two diaphragms and they're a tiny bit apart compared to a ribbon, which is like infinitesimal. It's the same diaphragm, right? It's one ribbon. So the large diaphragms you get a tiny weird they don't null perfectly, whereas the ribbons... And so I've done stuff with acoustic guitar with a singer-songwriter where you're trying to record the guy singing and playing guitar at the same time, but you want to isolate those two. And if you get two figure eights in the right way, get one in the null of the guitar, and then the guitar one in the null of the um, singer's voice, you can get amazing separation, even though these two mics are like right next to each other. It's almost like a bloom line. Kind of configuration, oh, which a bloom line is is basically a crossed pair. Now of Now we're eights. getting geeky. Yes, <laughs>
2: talking the bloom which is line. a cool
3: stereo technique. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah.
3: So where were
2: we? Home studios. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I have clients that don't have a booth, but I mean, when I say they don't have a booth, I mean they have a treated space. It's sizable. Everything is in it. And the only thing that we'd be making a noise might be the computer, and sometimes that is a tolerable noise floor. And sometimes it's in a soundproof audio rack, or sometimes it's in another room. But, you know, it's a whole room. It could be 10 by 12 feet. But anything that'd be making noise is in another room. That, to me, is the perfect best of both worlds. Like, you get the space to spread out. You have all your gear and a desk and a big area to work in, a window but the noise is another room and that to me is the perfect situation
3: how much does someone spend in a ua audio interface that can do some actual decent real-time processing and all this stuff trying to get around a booth when really one of the biggest lessons in a lot of our things is the first thing that you invest in is your space Right, and That's, and it, yeah. it's like instead of trying to go like ah, I'm gonna go buy a, a expander gate and mess around with it and look bad in the end, like deaden up the space, seal it up, find the quietest corner of your house, put put your time and your money there, and then you don't need to end up with basically what is still compromised audio, even though it might not be as compromised because some compressors and gates are saving it almost, but not really.
2: Yeah, it's. This is one of those things that's got, you know, a hundred shades of gray. <laughs> yes. <that's laughs> so, right. you know, it's like, cause yeah, we would all, we, I, I certainly want all my clients to have the best sounding home studio possible. The problem is, is some of them are just doing these extremely low paying audio books or e-learning jobs, you know? And so they have to get away with what they can get away with. They just can't afford nor can justify an expense of a proper booth so they end up in a closet or a corner of their bedroom and you know if there's a bit of a noise floor issue maybe it's some rumble from the nearby airport we set up some processing we try to filter it out make it acceptable
3: but my opinion is different i think it is what it is you get the best space you can get and if someone unless you're the one mixing it leave all those decisions to the person mixing it. If you're like if you're at a hotel, even then that might be a justifiable situation where you're like I have no other opportunity to make this room better. I now have to gate stuff. I would still say let the guy because because he's not going to want that chopping gate between words. It might be better for him to edit stuff out than have the gate jumping around all the time.
2: But you know that's that's kind of the uh, unfortunately the truth of it is. That's kind of the one percenter of voiceover. That that's those are the jobs that actually hire recording engineers and producers, and that that's the kind of that's the world that that you operate in, Robert.
3: So now I sound like a jerk. No, (laughs) no, 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 I agree
2: with
0: you, Robert. The
2: point. Andrew
3: and I are going to go like hang out. No,
2: (laughs) you don't (laughs) sound like a jerk. It's just people should be so lucky to have an engineer. I I would job, you know. They should I be so lucky. So many of the jobs of voice actors I'm dealing with day in, day out, the blue-collar, lunch-pail voice work of of the business, which is all this low pay-to-play stuff, dealing with local businesses, corporate narration, phone systems, um, e-learning, on and on. There's no producer. There's no engineer. The actor is it. They're expected to send something that's going to go right onto the deliverable. And that's the problem. You know, They're having to deal with it.
0: Yeah. I, I kind of agree with Robert, though. Even with someone sending me a file from home, I would rather have to fix bad audio than fix someone's bad attempt to fix bad audio. <laughs> yes,
3: right, because you still have totally to fix the bad sense. audio.
2: Totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I again, this is this this dovetails off the Source Connect discussion we just had on the last episode. People are asking me all the time. Well, I do all this processing. I you, I have to I have to do an Audacity chain to my files. But how can I do that when I'm doing Source Connect? And I have to explain to them, you don't that's the beauty of it. You don't have to. You're the reason you're doing Source Connect is because you're actually getting to record with a producer and an engineer. And it's their job to deal with the audio that you're sending them. If they deem your audio not up to par, they're going to tell you and you're going to have to deal with it. But it's not about how you massage your audio's quality with processing. It's about them taking the audio you give them, hoping it's as good as it can be and letting them to worry about it. And when, they, when I explain it to them about the way they, they, they almost always are like relieved. They're like, oh, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, I didn't know that. That's so great. But they just, they just didn't know that. They'd never, they never thought about it. They never it just, either they've always gone into a studio and it just, it's just totally not something they ever think about or they're at home and they're just banging out Quick churn and burn auditions and slapping George Whittem's stack that he made me five years ago. You know, and that's it. You know, so this is a different world, folks. If you're on Source Connect Sessions, you know, don't process it. Let the studio do it. The producer wants that control.
1: If you think about Source Connect Sessions, it's exactly the same as being in the booth of a commercial studio, except the
3: booth is a little bit of time between you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's, a, there's Yeah. Except there's a hundred millisecond delay, and there's a, a a cable instead of a piece of glass.
3: Yep. Right. Correct.
2: That
0: is the difference. Yeah. yeah. If you want to see each other, dial up Skype at the same time, and there you go. You can. I don't faces get that, man. I keep on.
3: What? I keep on saying, like, why do people need to see each other? Pick their nose. I don't know. And 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 the thing to it's really rare. be careful about these Zoom meetings is like, think about how these conferences work. Even ours right here, hmm. one person or two people talking is two streams. 3 is 6 4 is 8 5 is 10 as you add people to these conferences the bandwidth goes up like a like it it doesn't go up linearly it goes up exponentially because effectively each one of us are sending to every single of the other one of us and we are receiving from every single one of the other one of us so yeah
2: it's risky it's risky you you, yeah. you don't want to add the load to the network if you don't need to do it right um i, I that's another question so i mean I know it's incredibly rare for a voice actor to need a webcam in their booth, and it's really unusual for them to, need to be seen or see anybody. Is this changing? Is this Do you think this is a trend that's going to change because people are now just not ever getting to see the talent that they're going to want this to happen? What, what do you guys think about that? I know what you said, Robert, why bother, but what do you think, Robbo?
0: Something I thought the, about the other day Is when I'm in a studio situation and there's a voice talent in the booth, and there's clients at the back of the room. I kind of take on the role of mediator, and I'm sure Robert probably feels that way too. You sort of mediate between the client and the the voiceover talent, so you sort of you try to control the session a little
3: bit. And you 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 interpret when the when the client can't actually communicate what they want or when you see the session going in a bad way you got to grab the session get it back into control because you're like we only have an hour with this guy that's right if I keep on letting this guy give him stupid direction it's never going to end
0: and well one of the Um, things one of the things that I use is when you can see that a voiceover talent's getting frustrated because clients are pushing him this way then that way then blah 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 blah. you know you'll, you'll open up the microphone and go hey man that was really good the client wants to try it this way and if you've got your back to the client, you'll sort of, you know, you'll just roll your eyes or you'll sort of go, oh, Jesus, you know, you give give that impression that I'm on your side, I'm with you. Nonverbal communication. Yeah, communications, nonverbal yes. communications. And you can't <laughs> do that in a voice session. You can't go, hey, man, this guy's a dick. He clearly doesn't know what he wants. So we'll try a, another way. Ha ha. You know, can't believe we're doing this. Right. And right, and right. In that way you sort of you keep the voiceover talent calm. You sort they feel like someone's on their side in the other room, blah blah blah. And it cha- it can change the whole sort of feeling of the session. And you can't do that when you don't have a physical, sort of eye level connection.
3: I have a funny story. So so in our studio, to my chagrin, what looked good on a drawing didn't quite line up with. Like by the time the table got put in there for for all of our equipment and everything. Really, the only person who has a sightline to the talent is the engineer, like a good sightline, and the people in a certain corner of the room. It just didn't work out great. And that's a different issue. But so we're doing this session, and in walks a, I forget, a writer, producer, I forget who walks in a producer late to the session, sits down an hour later after giving the guy direction and everything else, and we're all recording, and the guy, steps out of the booth and walks into the room. And this guy who walked in late to the session went, oh, you're here. He thought it was a remote connection session. Funny enough, even though he walked right by the booth with the guy standing in there and we have glass. It's just like the guy's standing in the booth. He just obliviously walked right by him into our control room, did the whole session and thought this guy was on the other side of the world. They are like a lot of producers and and writers and everything they're just used to directing without needing to look at the talent. We're working with audio. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I, I, I can see what Robo's saying about eye contact and that kind of thing where you do get a signal from the engineer that, like, the guy behind me is a dickhead, so just keep going and we'll get this thing dusted. Um, but when you're dealing with audio, it's like if you if you watch a movie and the audio component actually tricks you because the visual then you know, become something that is actually not. So, the problem is if people are seeing things, if they're seeing people, they're probably not putting 100% into the way they're listening to that person. Does that make any well, sense? Can I, can, I, can I inject this idea then?
2: What if the engineer had a camera on him or her? And so the talent could see the engineer at his mixed position and, see, and, and read his body language and see what he's actually doing. And then, who cares? The talent doesn't need a camera on them. But the talent would be able to get that feedback from the engineer, seeing that valuable piece of nonverbal communication. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be valuable? Yeah, it could be, yeah. Just an, just an idea. It just came when... when it, I, I wonder, side. I mean,
3: I'll, I'll agree that I, I have visuals with the talent, and every now and then it's more of just a thing of, like, are we rolling? And it's like, yeah, go ahead. Or I'll just, when we're rolling, instead of... It's nothing that you can't do with the mic, which is sometimes they, 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 you say, do three in a row, and it's maybe a slightly green talent, and they do read it. You say, okay, this thing, three in a row, and then they read it once. Same. And yeah. then And then you just Stop. sort of, like, take your... Finger in a circle and go like again and again, like say it again. Right, 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 right. And you can jump on the mic. But the thing about jumping on the mic sometimes is that right when you jump on the mic is right when they start doing their third take or their second like round <laughs> yes, of it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sometimes that that hand movement is good because it doesn't jump in there. And I don't know. I, I agree that it's nice, but it's. It's a it's a luxury that that isn't like a huge deal. And given all the delay and everything yeah. else with the, with a video feed, this guy is reading script. His eyes are on the script. His eyes aren't on the cam- on the little Skype video. I see it as more of a distraction if it's not done really right. We used to have a booth that was remote in like our studio where the booth was around the corner. There was no window, and we set up a camera and a TV so that people could see it and there was a TV in the booth, so it was like, replace your window with a camera. No one used it. It Mm. We we just ended up leaving it turned off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, true.
3: Well. We will see, right? We're
2: going to see after two to three months of this forced isolation,
1: what changes. Yeah, Um, I I do hope. uh, There's got to be a positive out of all this, and I do hope that's one of them, because it would be... um, Nice for the planet to get a good set of lungs again. Yeah, yeah, that's deep. right. Cool. All righty, back to isolation. <laughs> 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 just go Shut down. down. <laughs> but... Bye-bye. <laughs> Time to open another bottle of wine.) <laughs> This show was mixed by Voodoo Radio Imaging, edited by Andrew Peters using Rode microphones and Source Connect Now tech support from George the Tech Wiz and supported by Harlan Hogan's voiceoveressentials.com, the home of the PortaBooth Pro. You look for